Amen. Thank you, Brother Randy. Great job. Colin, college, great job. Goodness gracious. I'll tell you, if you, uh, if you know someone that is college age, most college students are not involved in a church, and most churches don't have a great ministry for college students. We've got that here, y'all. We have got bukus of, of great uh, men and women that love the Lord. So if you know some out in the community, bring them here. They'll get plugged in, and it will be a great thing. So do not forget that. Matthew chapter 26, if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 26, we'll get there here in, here in a few moments. In Matthew 7, the Lord says in a very well-known verse, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These words are without a doubt the scariest words in all of humanity. They're the scariest words that one could ever hear in their life. They describe an individual, a man, a woman, someone, some people, who has had many encounters with the Lord, but it was never enough. It describes an individual who the encounter led to action. There was evidence. There was proof of the profession. There was fruit hanging on the tree. But the outcome is disastrous. And the word that really shakes me to the core is the word many. See, it doesn't say few. I wish it said few because if it said few, I would feel a whole lot better. But it says many. Many will say on the day of judgment, Lord, we did all of these things. We went to church and we gave money and we rode a bus and we taught in a life group and we sang in the choir and we did all of these things. But they hear the response, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's not talking about the outside world. 75% of Americans claim to be Christian. Now, we know that's not true, but notice the context in Matthew 7 is not of the world. The context is in the church. The context is in the church, and it's those who are involved in leadership in the church. It's discussing those who work, and those who serve, and those who teach, and those who drive out demons, and those who preach. It's saying there's going to be many on Judgment Day. There's going to be many religious men and women on Judgment Day who hear the words, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And there's some in here this morning, without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will hear those words. Despite everything else, despite a life of service and a life of action, a life of religious work, there are some in this room who will hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew you. I want to ask you to investigate the encounter that you've had with the Lord Jesus. 
We've been on Sunday nights looking at encounters with Jesus, looking at different individuals. Some had an encounter that changed their life, and some had an encounter with the Lord, and they walked away from it, and nothing ever changed. And I want to ask you for the next few minutes, we won't be long this morning, Brother Charles is not here. I want to ask you for the next few minutes to evaluate the encounter that you've had with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because my plea is that none of us would hear those dreadful words. But there are many, there are many in our churches who have no real, authentic, genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We come together and we hear the same message, we hear the same truth, we hear the same doctrine, we hear the same explanation of Scripture. We have the same spiritual experiences. We see the same grace and we see the same power. We serve together. We worship together. We evangelize together. But there are some who have a genuine relationship and there are some who just never get it. And I want to give you an example this morning of a man who never got it. Judas is an example of this tragedy. Judas is an example of one who was so close to the Savior. He had every opportunity, but he never understood it. No doubt throughout life there have been many failures. There have been many who have fallen short. There have been many who have missed it. But I believe there are none who compare to the life of Judas. Judas was personally called to follow Jesus. He answered that call and he followed 24-7 for three years. He was trained by Jesus. He saw the miracles of Jesus. He saw the power over demons, the power over disease, the power over death, the power over nature. He saw the intellectual power of Jesus. Judas was confronted with his sinfulness day after day after day, and he was reminded of the fact that he was sinful and he needed forgiveness and he needed salvation. And for three years, he was exposed to this. Judas is the darkest figure we can imagine because his life is seen in the light of the brightest light humanity has ever seen. When Judas is mentioned in Scripture, it always references that he was a traitor. He is a colossal failure. He betrayed the perfect, spotless, sinless, blameless Son of God, and he did so for a handful of money. Judas shows how low the heart can go and how wasted a life can be. If there's a man who had so much potential, but yet he squandered it all, it must be Judas. The name Judas means that Jehovah leads. It means that he is led by God. It's ironic, there's never been an individual that was more led by Satan than Judas. His last name is Iscariot. What that tells us is that he was from the region of Cariot, which is about 23 miles south of Jerusalem. 
Now, you remember, the other disciples came from the region of Galilee. They knew each other. They were fishermen. They worked together. They were brothers. They, they had a connection to the group. Judas had no connection, it seems like. He was an outsider from the very start. And so he came into this, and we don't see in Scripture the call to be a disciple. We don't see the call of Judas in the Bible, but we do know that he answered the call and that he followed Jesus willingly. Judas lived in a time of high messianic hope. They were looking, they wanted to see, they wanted to find the true Messiah. When is the Messiah going to come? Where is the true Messiah? When he, will he rid us of this Roman oppression? And so they were watching and waiting and watching and waiting, waiting for the Messiah to come. And Judas found Jesus and he thought to himself, this must be the man. This must be the Messiah. This has got to be the Messiah. And so just like the other disciples, Judas left everything he had. He left his job. He left whatever kind of business he was involved with. He left his relationships, and he begins to follow Jesus. In John chapter 6, things got tough. And Jesus looked to his followers. Many were leaving. Many were abandoning. And Jesus looked and he said, do you want to go away as well? They said, we're not going anywhere. And Judas was a part of that. We're staying. We are committed. Jesus had power like no other power the world had ever seen. And so they followed. But Judas followed out of selfish gain, out of a worldly ambition, out of a agreed. He wanted the wealth, he wanted the power, and he wanted the prestige, but yet he chose to follow. The other disciples had the same thing in mind. They were following Jesus because they believed that Jesus was going to set up this earthly kingdom, and as he set up this earthly kingdom, they would be on his right side, and they would be on his left side, so they would receive the power and the riches that go with it. But as time began to pass, they began to see that the kingdom that Jesus is setting up is not an earthly kingdom, but it is a spiritual kingdom. And as they grew and their love grew, they began to accept this about Jesus. But Judas never did. Judas never accepted this. He was worldly. He never embraced the spiritual kingdom, and he remained an outsider. So this morning, let's look at the, the latter details, beginning in Matthew 26. And stay open in Matthew 26, because we're going to just look through 26 and early chapter 27. Not all of it, but we're just going to kind of jog through the scriptures. Matthew 26, verse 2. He says, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Jesus is the final and the only Passover lamb. He's going to offer his life at the Passover as the true sacrifice for sin that only God would accept. And he's trying to prepare his disciples. He's preparing them to the fact that he is going to die soon. He does not want them to be discouraged. He does not want them to be surprised. And so he's setting up the scene for his followers. Now look at verses 6 through 13. 
In verse 6, we see that Jesus is anointed at Bethany. He's at the home of Simon the leper, and a woman comes in, and she comes in with a very expensive vial of perfume. She comes in, and she pours it on Jesus, and it begins to fall to the ground. You remember the story. We don't have time to go into this context, but she comes in. Jesus is reclining at the table, and she comes in without speaking a word, and she pours it upon Jesus, and she begins to anoint his body. All of a sudden, the scriptures tell us there is a protest. Look at verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were angry. They were upset. And they said, why the waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. Now stop right there for a moment. That sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds like a good protest. This was very expensive. And it's just being poured on the ground and it's being soaked up into the ground. Why are we wasting all of this money? We could have sold it. We could have kept the money. We could have given the money to the poor. This is wasteful. This is not right. And it sounds good on the outside, but John chapter 12, you don't have to flip. I'll read it to you. John chapter 12 gives us another insight. Who is the one that protested? John chapter 12 tells us it was Judas. He's the protester, and for the first time, we get a glimpse of his character. He brings it up. Why are you wasting this? We could have sold it and given the money to the poor. In verse 6 of John, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He saw this, this perfume. He saw this money that was falling to the ground. And he said, why are we wasting this? Let's sell it. Let's put the money in the bag. And the reason he wants the money in the bag is because he holds the bag. John tells us he's a thief. He's the one that would go and he would take money out of the bag and he would put it in his pocket. Now, let, let me just point something out here. The fact that he held the money, what does that tell us? Tells us he was trusted, wasn't he? The disciples needed somebody to take care of the money. They looked around and they saw John. They said, no, not John. They saw Peter. They said, we can't trust Peter. Don't give it to Peter. And then they saw Judas and they said, Judas is a good guy. We can trust him. If any of us are trustworthy, it must be Judas. Let's give Judas the money. And so Judas had the money. He kept the money. And the Bible says that he was stealing from the money bag. He wanted the money. He was greedy. He was worldly. He wanted the prominence. And all of a sudden, remember in verse 2, Jesus is not talking about a kingdom any longer. He's not talking about a kingdom. He's not talking about riches. He's not talking about any of these things. What's he talking about? Death. In verse 2, he's talking about death. And so Judas looks at his life and he says, I cannot believe I have followed this man for the last three years. I cannot believe I have wasted the last three years of my life and now he's about to die. What do I have to show for this? My life is going nowhere. I, I, I hitched my wagon to the wrong horse. This is not good. I've got to get something out of it. And so he wants to get all the money out of the bag that he can. And when he sees the waste, he says, mm, I wanted that money. 
I wanted that money. I want something because this is not the way I wanted my life to be. Verse 12, Matthew 26, Jesus said that this is preparation for my burial. He's making it very obvious that he's about to die, and the Bible shows us that Judas is in a panic. He's in a panic. He doesn't get it. He's crushed. His ambitions are smashed. He's terribly disappointed. He's angry. He's wasted so much of his life. But I want you to notice something. On the outside, what does Judas look like? He looks like a faithful, committed, authentic follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You wouldn't tell him apart. If you line the disciples up one by one, you wouldn't look at Judas and say, that guy's not right. You wouldn't know. He's one of the most trusted in the group. He's going through the motions. He's doing everything right. He is always with Jesus. He's doing the things that he ought to be doing, but he has everyone fooled by what's in his heart. And he's following Jesus out of selfish motivations. As long as my life is good, as long as my life is easy, as long as God blesses me, then I'm going to follow. But the first time things get tough, what do many believers do? We're out the door, right? We've seen it so many times, it's, it's hard to count. When things get tough, we get out. We leave. We're following Jesus, but we're not following Jesus because we're surrendered we're not following Jesus because we are deeply in love with him. We're following Jesus many times because what Jesus can do for us. And that is the motivation of Judas. Now look at verse 14. <clears throat> verse 14, one of the 12. And it says that just because it is, it is so uh, dubious, it is so strange that it is one of his followers one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. Judas goes, he lost this money, and so now he says, I've got to find a way to get something. And so he goes to the chief priest and he says, I can give you Jesus. I can betray him I can give him up, but what's it worth to you? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody that you love? Been betrayed by somebody that you, you care about? It's probably the worst feeling you can go through. Here's a man who is to love Jesus, to be a, a follower committed to Jesus, but he goes out and he's ready to sell him out. And they said, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. According to Exodus, that is the price of a slave. And Judas agrees to it, and they make a deal. He says, I'll do it for the price of a slave. Verse 16, from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. I told you, we're staying in the scriptures this morning. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 introduces us to the Passover. You see that in your context. Verse 20 it says, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. And out of nowhere, he says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, hang on a second. I know we've been through these passages before, and so maybe it doesn't cause the shock in us. But Jesus is at the table with his best friends. 
with his closest people and he looks at his best friends and he looks them in the eye and he says, I'm telling you, one of you is going to betray me. And all of a sudden they were shocked. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't sit around and they didn't all just point to Judas. It's kind of what we picture. They, they point to Judas and say, I know who it is. It's going to be that guy. That guy's not right. Something's off with that guy. Something's strange with that guy. They didn't think of Judas. Nobody pointed to Judas. Judas was playing the part. He was playing the act. He was going through the motions. Everything looked perfect. They didn't question Judas. They began to question themselves. They began to look at their heart and they said, surely it's not I, Lord. Lord, surely it's not me. Lord, tell me it's not me. It can't be me. Lord, surely you're not talking about me. There was no suspicion. There was no doubt of Judas. And the Lord answered, he who dipped his bread with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. It's right out of the Old Testament. My own familiar friend will betray me. Verse 24, as it is written of him, but woe to the man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas continues the show. Surely it's not I, Rabbi. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He's already set it up. He's already planned it. But he keeps the show going. You know what a hypocrite does? A hypocrite does not stop acting. They keep going through the motions. They keep the mask on. They keep the facade up. And they go through the motions. And so here Judas is, and he's at the table. And he says, no, Lord, surely it's not me. And Jesus says, you've said it yourself. And John tells us he was dismissed after this and that Satan entered into him. And Jesus told him, go quickly and do what you are going to do. Verse 30, it says they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Remember, they go out to the Mount of Olives, they're going to pray. Jesus says, sit here for a while and pray. Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus goes further in the garden. He kneels down. He begins to pray. And there's so much anguish and there's so much agony. The Bible says that his blood vessels burst in his head and his sweat is mixed with blood. And he begins to sweat droplets of blood. He comes back and what does he find his friends doing? They're asleep. They couldn't even stay. They could not even pray. And so he comes up and he says, Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed by the hand of sinners. Look at verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Here comes Judas. He's got the temple police. He's got the soldiers. He's got the leaders of Israel. And he gave them a sign. Verse 48 tells us. It says, he who he was betraying gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, that's the one sees him. Now, I've got to believe this. I've got to believe that Judas could have said, we're going to go and we're going to get at a distance and I'm going to point to him. He could have done that. He didn't. He could have said, we're going to go and we're going to stand to the side and I'm going to wave to him. And the one I'll wave at, that's the one you want. What was the sign? It was a kiss. There's some anger in that, right? There's some bitterness in that. There's some resentment 
in that. But he walks up and he says, greetings, rabbi. Greetings. And Jesus says, friend, do what you've come for. Jesus was not surprised. He knew what was going to happen. And so the Bible says that Judas comes and he, he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And you know what happens. They come and they take Jesus they set up this mock trial. They try to get these false testimonies and nothing can come into place until finally they come up with what Jesus said early on about the temple will be destroyed and raised again. And so they take Jesus. They begin to beat him. They spit on his face in verse 67 and 68. They slap him. They say, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And we know where that ends. We know where it goes. We know what happens. But what about Judas? After this, Judas had a great deal of regret. He was in a hell of his own making. Flip the page. Look at Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He came back and he felt bad. The Bible said he had remorse. Now listen to me. That does not mean that he was repentant. There is a difference in life in having remorse and having repentance. There are people all across this city who have done terrible things, and they feel guilty from it. They feel remorse from it. But that does not mean that they have a repentant heart. The Bible never shows us that Judas had any type of repentance. And so he comes back and he says, I, I cannot believe what I've done. And they say in verse 4, what is that to us? You see to it. And then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and the Bible says, and he went and he hanged himself. Now, in his mind, money was all that he needed. In his mind, it's going down fast. What I need is money. If I could just have money. And then he gets the money and he said, this does not do it. This does not satisfy. This does not give me any peace. And the last thing we see is he throws the money down and he runs off and hangs himself. And he's mentioned one more time in Acts chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, This man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all of those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language the field of blood. The Bible says that Judas went out and he went to take his own life. And he was a tragedy even in his suicide. We don't know exactly what happens. Maybe the, the rope broke. Maybe the branch broke. But he went to hang himself and his body fell on the jagged rocks below. And the Bible says his insides gushed out on the rocks. And he was damned to hell forever. You say, how do you know that? The Bible says he went to his own place. The Bible says it would have been better for this man if he had never been born. 
Now, this is, this is a different type of message. I, I realize that. Just kind of walking through the scriptures. But I wanted to, to show you the tragedy that is Judas. The opportunity that was squandered, that was wasted. He had unparalleled privilege, but he wasted all of it. He wasted it because he was greedy, full of materialism. He wanted riches, and he was living for himself. The things in him were so strong that they smothered the reality of who was in front of him day after day after day. You might say they loved himself too much. He rejected salvation too often, and he resented Christ too strongly. If there's a man who wasted it, it is Judas. But I just, I can't help but be reminded that he hid it so well. Nobody expected it. Nobody saw it. Nobody knew it was coming. Nobody pointed to Judas and said, that's the man. Something's not right. He doesn't fit in. He shouldn't be a part of this group. No, nobody saw that. And it just reminds me how easy it is to play the part. You have heard all types of statistics. Statistics of how many in the church today are actually lost. I don't know if there's any truth to it. But I know that it is easy to pretend to be something we're not. And so I want to just challenge you. I don't have three points. I don't have a, a sad closing story. I don't have an illustration. Judas is our illustration. But I want to ask you to look inside your heart. I'm pleading with you to look inside your heart. I'm pleading with you so you will never hear those words, depart from me for I never knew you. You say, I went to church. It doesn't matter. I gave money. It doesn't matter. I sang in the choir. It doesn't matter. I'm asking you to look inside your heart and look at the encounter, the relationship that you've got with the Lord Jesus Christ. The genuine relationship, not what people think. People can be wrong. Not the show that you present. The show can be wrong. The genuine, authentic relationship. Let me ask you to close your eyes. And bow your head for just a moment. I'm convinced that there are many Christians playing the same game that Judas played. And for Judas, it's too late. And when you hear those words, depart from me, for I never knew you, in that moment, it's too late. There, there's no other shot there's no second chance. There's no do-over. In that moment, your fate is sealed. Your destiny is complete. But praise the Lord, we're not to that point. You've got a shot. You've got a chance. You might say, man, I've been doing this a long time. Nobody would ever guess that I'm not sure of my salvation. That's the game we can play. I want to I ask you this. <clears throat> If you're here this morning, 
Nobody's looking. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to come talk to you. This is going to be the end of it. I want to ask you this. If you're not 100% sure of your salvation, I just want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up. If you're not 100% sure of your salvation, just lift your hand up. I see them. Thank you. I see it. Put it down. Thank you. Anybody else? You say, I'm just not 100% sure of my salvation. I don't know. I don't have that complete assurance, and it's really bothering me. Maybe you've been in church a long time. You've been doing these things a long time, but you're just not sure. Let me ask you one more time. Just slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Okay? Now, let me ask you this. Do you want to be sure? Bible says, I've written these things so that you may have confidence. You might have certainty. You might be sure of your salvation. You say, I don't want to go through life without being sure. I don't want to go through life and have the weight on my shoulders that one day I might hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew you. In that moment, it's too late. And so I want you to ask those that raised your hands, those that should have raised your hands, why would you not want to be sure? See, the Bible says for... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It tells us that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. The Bible says that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved saved. And once that happens and you mean it and you're genuine and you're real and you're authentic, then you can have the confidence and the assurance that goes with salvation. And so I told you, those of you that lifted your hands, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. But I just want to plead with you and ask you, if you're not sure of your salvation, will you come down in a moment? Will you come talk to someone? Will you let somebody pray with you and talk to you so that you can leave here with assurance and that you'll know where you're going to spend eternity? Don't walk out of this place without the certainty of it. So what we're going to do in just a moment is we're going to pray. We're going to pray and I'm going to say amen. And when I say amen, if you raise your hand, if the Spirit is leading you, and there were several who did, I want to ask you to, when I say amen, directly, immediately come down to the front right where I'm going to be standing. Come find me, and then I'm going to send you with a man or with a woman, and they're going to talk to you more, and we're going to make sure that this is settled this morning. I can promise you that. But you've got to take that first step. You say, what are people going to think? They're going to celebrate. Nobody's going to be looking down on you for that. Take that first step. Step out in faith, and God is going to bless you. The choice is up to you. Judas had the choice. He made the wrong one. Don't make the wrong choice. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, I pray that right in this moment, God, that you will give strength to those who need strength, God. 
that you will lead those who need to be led. God, I pray in this moment that anyone here who does not have assurance of their salvation, I pray that when we say amen, they will immediately get out of their seat as we all stand up and they will come directly to the front, God, and they will walk out of here with the assurance of their salvation. Lord, give them strength right now. Tell them what you want them to do, God. Make it clear to them in this moment. Lord, have your will during this time. We thank you for the gift of salvation. Let me ask everybody to stand up. Everybody to your feet. When I say amen and close this prayer and you raise your hand, come meet me right here. Lord, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.